I'm your host, Jacob Corey. And I'm Matt Pavlik. Hi, and I'm Julian Knapp. And we've got uh, quite a treat for you guys today. Um, here we are, Saturday afternoon, uh, recording on the heel of Pro Tour Portland, a.k.a. Pro Tour Hipster. Pro Tour Unemployment. Pro Tour Late at Night. Oh yeah, it is 2 a.m. for you. <laughs> no problem. So there were some announcements today. Kobe, do you want to take us through some of them? Sure. Um, let's uh, backtrack a little bit. Uh, I think earlier this week we had an uh, interesting current event. So maybe we'll, we'll start the top uh, section called Current Events in Magic History. Matt, why don't you take uh, this one since uh, you seem to have written a quite lengthy rebuttal and we'll kind of use you as the uh, center point for the rest of the discussion. Excellent. So... Basically, you guys might know a player called Jeff Hoogland, uh, who's been on the Star City circuit for a little bit, and he frequently plays Agrilom, or Four Color Loam. And he wrote an article on themedry.org. I'm not, I'm not super familiar with the website. But basically, the article is called Leaving Legacy for a Modern Mistress. And basically, he explains that um, Legacy is a very frustrating format, and that he's been uh, consistently pushed out of the format by the consistency of Ponder, Brainstorm, Ancestral Vision, etc. And that his Chalice of the Void-based deck just couldn't compete. And he's moving to Modern because it's the non-rotating format of the future, and uh, there's no objectively best cards, and he's looking to see how it will grow. And basically, it seems like because he can play Agrilum in that format, it's actually not too bad. Uh... But, again, his biggest point is that Brainstorm and Ponder and the consistency that Blue provides is too good, and non-blue decks cannot compete in Legacy. And, frankly, I kind of disagree with this entire argument that Blue can't compete. Yeah, so I think he mentions in the article that the two cards really highlighted in the Legacy format, Brainstorm and Force Will, are the ones that kind of steer the format, um, Legacy format, into a Blue-heavy metagame. Now, there's some... I want to say some uh, disingenuity with that because really all we're looking at when we see like top results is the best performing decks of a given tournament. And in any given tournament, um, you're obviously going to have the best decks rise to the top. So there is some credence to you know Brainstorm Force Will decks being the b- best performing. But when you're only looking at the top 8 or top 16 results of any given tournament, you're bound to see the best decks in it. Um, so really what what he seems to highlight is that you have to play blue and you have to play brainstorm in order to perform well in legacy. and that's a bit of a stretch in in my opinion i think there in the legacy format you've got a lot of strategies that are essentially fighting on small percentages to uh to fight each other so for instance uh death and taxes is a deck that performs really well against brainstorm uh brainstorm decks that rely on it like fetchland stoneforge that kind of stuff um, and there's also fast combo However, Fast Combo tends to also lose to Force of Will. So it's a little bit of a play. Um, but if we do take a look at, for instance, the Legacy format as a whole, we do see that most of the decks uh, that perform well have maybe, what, 65 to 70% comprised of blue. Yeah. Or some fraction of blue. Where all the other colors, let's say red and, and black, compose of like 40 to 45 Um, I mean, generally speaking, the way he argues or at least that's what it seems to me, is like he kind of hit hit a wall and get frustrated in a way, and now his decision is just to leave the format because maybe maybe it's not his pet deck, but it, it seems like his pet, his pet deck has not been working out for him lately, and he's gonna leave Legacy and is gonna turn towards Modern. But, I mean, the kind of argument that you have to play blue in order to be successful, I mean, 
you don't even know if, that, if that's true. I mean, it's honestly true that some of the very best cards in Legacy are blue. But I mean, there are so many, so many uh, examples of of non-blue decks performing very well. And overall, what we should actually be looking at is like the percentage of people playing a certain deck and how many of those people are playing it well and doing well in tournaments. And exactly, and that's my kind of problem with him. If he just says, "Yeah, blue decks, blue decks are performing so so good." And making up more top eight spots than non blue decks. Well, I guess that's just because blue decks are more represent more widely represented in the format. And it's it's not like like reducing your vari- variance puts you like over the top of the blue decks. It's it's I don't know I, I don't know how to describe it in a way, but but I really feel like there it's also it's like kind of a trade off. If you play blue and you play all these nice cantrips and stuff, yeah, that's fine. Then you reduce variance and that's good for you. But if you look at a deck like I don't know, let's just take um, Nickfit for example. Nickfit kind of preys upon all these blue decks, doing all the cute and fancy stuff and gaining little advantages. Advantages, and yeah, it doesn't play blue, and it's still got a pretty good way to compete against these decks. So if you're not if you're not obsessed with playing like like I don't know your Agrolom deck. But you're like, yeah, Kobe mentioned uh, Death in Texas or even Elves. Those are non-blue decks who have been putting up really, really good numbers lately. I mean, even in the US, like, uh, I think Death in Texas was a bit slow to, to be adapted uh, into the format. It's been around for a while and Thomas uh, Innervolzen got it like to a big player in the format. But it's been an okay deck and if you want to go non-blue, there are definitely options and options you can use to do well with. And, I mean, Julian, you bring up a good point. It, basically, the American metagame seems to be very slow to adapt to change. Uh, we even saw this with Survival, and we're seeing it, we saw it with Trune Nemesis. The Europeans were actually the first ones to not think of an answer, but actually sit there and work on the problem. A lot of the American players just kind of sit around while the professionals on the SEG circuit just clean up. Um, I mean, look at the look at the major decks in the format right now. Uh, Miracles, Charlotte's Bug, Imperial Painter, uh, Patriot Delver, Elves, Death and Taxes, Nickfit, Omniteller, all European deck lists. Um, let's try to think of American deck lists. So Team America, Sneakachow, and Rug Delver are the three that I can actually think of that are 100% like American Brood lists. I'd put Epic Storm in there too, but uh, that's such a fringe player compared to other Storm decks in the format. Okay, so we have that. So that's the four. original Solidarity like, deck. <laughs> Okay, fine. But still, point is, not many, right? So it seems like the... the, I feel like more people in Europe are invested in, say, their particular archetype, and are actually kind of... Whether it's a blue or a non-blue archetype, and they're working on maybe the problem that that archetype has in the current metagame. And over in North America, people are just aren't. They're kind of maybe hitting that wall and going, oh, I might as well just play blue. Now, also, too, the point is raised in the article that, oh, I got beaten by professional players playing Brainstorm. Brainstorm is a very skill-testing card. You can't just fire off a Brainstorm end of turn and say, you know, hooray, I brainstormed, therefore I get to win. Very much not the case. Perhaps it's just good players who choose to buffer variance and have an edge against uh, other matchups and have force of will. Maybe that's why they're doing well as well. Right, so my impression reading Jeff Hoogland's article was specifically about the concept of playing to win. So I'm I'm familiar with Jeff Hoogland that you know he's he's a grinder he plays in a lot of Midwest Star City Opens he's uh, very active in writing articles and uh, and and really 
helping spread a message about what to play, how to play, here's how to play, uh, you know, very much community-based writer. And my, my impression of, of Jeff Hoogland is that he is a spike. That is, he seeks out uh, strategies and decks that give him the best chance to win a tournament and the best chances to outplay his opponents. So when I read this article, I get the impression that he's constructing kind of this false walls or uh, limitations on how he will get to play in the format and he he's not allowing himself to break down those walls and, and get to the best strategy. So we mentioned about him playing a lot of aggro loam. That's a deck that has very good percentages against some decks, but historically, especially against Miracles, um, has very poor win percentages. It's just not able to crack that strategy. Granted, Abrupt Decay has helped, but not significantly enough to over um, essentially bring that matchup into a positive light. So, and then you look at his modern list, the deck he's been really pushing for modern, and you see he's playing blue-red fairies, which more or less is a legacy deck without Brainstorm and Ponder and Force Will. So it runs the same type of element. Delver, Lightning Bolt, a lot of Temple Elements. It tries to win uh, by countering small spells and attack with small creatures and then finish off with Burn. And when I look at the, the comparison between, let's say, his legacy deck choice and his modern deck choice, you can tell in modern he's really playing to win without putting up any limitations on how he's going to do that. And then you look at Legacy, and he is building up those walls and essentially putting barriers up. Um, so chiefly, that's my complaint with the article, or my takeaway from the article, about the method he's coming to, the spike mentality. And so I'm, I'm, I'm starting to kind of question whether he's really enjoying playing Legacy. And if you look at it from that standpoint, yeah, it's a valid article. It's just his opinion about the formats, why he's choosing to go to a different format that may be more rewarding or more enjoyable for him. And I agree, like, I'm glad in a way that it was written in such a way that it caused such a community uh, stir, because I think it's important to get people uh, talking about Legacy and about Brainstorm and about uh, deck choice and card selection. And But I believe it would have been more helpful for the community to address the other, uh, the other ways to decrease variance and increase consistency that a lot of other decks have. And it's not just Brainstorm. I mean, there are, there are several other strategies to doing that, and those just were completely unaddressed. So I just wish the article had gone into that. However, in my upcoming article, I will be addressing that. So, hooray. We'll be looking forward to it. Yeah, for sure. All right, moving on to the second half of Magic the Gathering current events as it pertains to Eternal Magic. Um, as we mentioned earlier, today is the day two of Grand Prix Portland. And there was a rather big announcement towards the end of the uh, the day from uh, Helen, who is, I think, uh, I guess, organized play, kind of a big, the, the figurehead of organized play. And uh, they released the Pro Tour and Grand Prix schedules and formats for the 2015 Pro Tour year. So, Julian, maybe you want to cover some of the uh, the highlights of the. Well, I guess for us, many of the highlights are the three legacy uh, Pro Tours. Oh, yeah, I wish. <laughs> the three legacy Grand Prix they announced, with the first one being... Oh, yeah. yeah. That's that's 50% more than this year, right? <laughs> Is it? I'm not even sure. Yeah, we only had two okay, this year. Okay, so that's... Pretty much an increase, yeah. So the first one is April 18th and 19th in Kyoto. Uh, I'm actually thinking about going there because I really, really would love to see Japan at some point. And if we get together like a cool team from Europe, we might go there, like the way we are going to GP New Jersey later this year. So the next one is... give me a second. It's Lil. 
Yeah, like that's uh, like I think that's north, Fra the north of France, uh, from July fourth to July fifth. Uh, I'm definitely gonna be going there. That's not too far from where I live. Uh, hey, do they celebrate July fourth huh? in France? Do they celebrate July fourth in France? Oh, if not, they will now. <laughs> I I don't think I think the national. Um, but how do you call it? Like Independence the, Day. Yeah, kind of. the kind of is like the when they stormed the the Bastille in. But, but but I might be wrong. I, I don't know too much. Yeah, my European history yeah. is rusty. <laughs> All I know is it's uh you have continent, and you have England, and <laughs> that's about it. Uh, and the last one that's for you guys is gonna be in Seattle. Th is it like there's Seattle? I know uh, because it says Seattle slash Tacoma. Yes, Seattle, Washington. Okay. Yeah, so I see Seattle Tacoma, which leads me to believe it's that in the Tacoma. Event it the event will be held in Tacoma, and it'll be called Seattle, so people recognize where the hell and is it's uh, November the seventh to the eighth. So now I'm, I'm pretty excited about this one. Sorry, sorry, Matt, I gotta jump in. No, no, please. Uh, this is the first Legacy Grand Prix on the west coast of the USA. So that is pretty exciting because we've been, I mean, the Legacy community online has been really hammering um, Helen with uh, organized play to get more Grand Prix on, first of all, on the west coast, but also more accessible formats, for instance, like Legacy out on the coast. So big thumbs up to Wizards of the Coast and organized play for listening to the fans and bringing the appropriate formats to the West Coast. That one's going to be insane. I'm just going to say that because I'm going. I'm sure you're going, Kobe. I'll be there. Uh, basically, I mean, I'm sure a lot of European players might come over as well. I mean, it'll be it'll be great. Tacoma itself, I'll be honest, is tiny and kind of ghetto. Ghetto. Oh, it's ghetto. But um, Seattle's not far, so you can drive out of the ghetto and into the less ghetto that is Seattle. Or you could even make a trip out to Canada and visit Matt and friends and uh, have a less ghetto experience in Vancouver. Exactly. It should be, uh, I think that'll be a pretty good uh, event. Should be pretty large, I take it. I hope we can um, crack 2K. My prediction at this point is probably going to be 18 to 1900. Depends on what kind of announcements uh, between Star City or Wizards of the Coast will have until next year. Oh, of course. Yeah, I mean, we're looking out, uh, what, like a year and a 15, half? Yeah, a year, a year and a quarter until this event. So there's tons of things that could come out. You could have new card releases, you could have new organized play uh, between Star City and Wizards of the Coast that may affect the appeal of Legacy. Uh, you might have a nuclear fallout. Who knows? Yeah, Legacy could die because they print another turn in Nemesis for two mana. Then we still wouldn't yeah. care about there's it. There's a lot of question marks. <laughs> 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 so, it's... Uh, I'm pretty excited about this event. Uh, I'm planning on going. I'm setting aside, uh, you know, time off and starting to look at airfare probably in about a year from now. So I mean, to go. realistically, you could also hit up like Kyoto, and then you could go to Bazaar of Moxen like less than a month later, <laughs> and then like kick around Europe for another four weeks, and then hit up GP Lil. Like it's not bad. That actually like, sounds like as long like as a you're plan. able to take like like three months you off. Could, yeah, I could actually go to Pro Tour Brussels in April. Are you wow. qualified? <laughs> I mean, there's been some changes. Not yet. Obviously. I could maybe qualify for a Pro Tour qualifier. Oh, qualifier. yeah. <laughs> if you make it through the qualifier, you could play in the qualifier. <laughs> so you can qualify after you qualified. Yo, yo dog, <laughs> I heard you like qualifiers. So we put a qualifier for your qualifier. That way you can qualify for a Pro Tour with a Pro Tour qualifier qualifier. Yeah, Wizards of the Coast is doing some interesting things. We'll see how it works out. That's right. It'll probably be bad, and then they'll just change it back. So whatever. <laughs> like whatever well, happens. <laughs> whatever happened to the super FNM? Do you guys? Oh yeah, they that? canceled it. They, they changed the planeswalker points. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens with organized play. You know, when they had this, this super FNM um, with the best, like, eight or 16, I don't know, FNM players in the entire world, somebody actually did the math, and it was like the people who qualified played more than one FNM each week and pretty much always, like, got first or second place or whatever. It was totally crazy. They had stores that ran, like, two FNMs on Friday and then two more on Sunday or, or Saturday or whatever, and it was kind of rigged, and, and so they got rid of it because it wasn't really worth it. Well, realistically, stores could farm if they wanted to, but, I mean, they're really not supposed to. Yeah, no, but, like, there's, there's no reason to actually try to, to get there when, they, when you know there are people who will play every, each and every FNM, and they won't play one each week, they will play, like, three or four each week, and that's just not worth it. Well, I think during that time... The Planeswalker points could still qualify. You yeah, you could qualify for Pro Tour Honolulu, I think, two years ago. I don't know. I, I actually know some people who did from Denmark. And, you know, qualifying for Pro Tour Honolulu via, via Planeswalker points, that should have been pretty awesome. Yeah, I think that was, like, one of the largest ones. Uh, it was, like, what, 426 players, I think, offhand? Might be exactly right. <laughs> who knows? My memory's kind of weird. With I numbers. actually remember GP Madrid. Uh, in 2010, that was 2,228 2, players. That was a legacy it was Grand Prix, wasn't it? Back mm -hmm. then, it was the largest GP ever. I think it's still the largest... Cons no, not the largest. That was the it's the largest Masters. legacy. Largest yeah. For sure, yeah. Well, even Modern Masters wasn't that large, but I think there's like Grand Prix Richmond or Grand Prix... What are you talking about? Modern Masters wasn't that large? No, no, constructed. Oh, okay. Sorry. So, quick story yeah. from GP Madrid. Um, they didn't expect that many players... So during the first three rounds, people, some people actually had to stand while playing because there weren't enough chairs. And they announced that after the third round, everybody who was like 03 would be forced to drop because they just didn't have enough uh, chairs. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. I was glad I had three bars. I remember, I remember that was the Grand Prix where Mystical was oh, still yeah. legal. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it didn't wreck the format either. Which, which I think later that summer... I remember I was on vacation for like five or six weeks, so I was totally tuned out. There was a ban announcement for Mystical Tutor, which caught everyone off guard. Um, especially was, you. Do you guys, yeah, especially me, because I was, you know, I came back and I'm like, what the hell happened? Um, do you guys remember what the reasoning for banning yeah, the Mystical Tutor was? Yeah, the too powerful. It's it like a gentleman's handshake, right? Essentially, they we're, were we're arguing that people were like Reanimator and like and Storm Combo were too powerful with Mystical Tutor, so. Because also remember that at that time you could float mana with LED through your draw step. You could. Oh, mana was yeah, different. that was that was amazing. That was an amazing time of in ad nauseum tendrils history. So so that was the problem, and they said that basically that like the reanimator at the time was like absurdly powerful, and that people just weren't playing it. Quote like you said because of the gentleman's agreement. Mm. You know, guys, let's so. not destroy our format. Let's keep playing our pet decks. We are all casual players, you know. No, <laughs> that was like the gentleman's agreement they proposed. Which is like, pr uh, like. I've heard of shitty excuses to ban cards. That's pretty shitty. Gentleman's agreement. So, so Julian, I think back going back to that Pro Tour schedule, I found something very odd about the formats. It seems the we're only going to be playing standard and booster drafts. <laughs> uh, sadly, no legacy what, Pro what Tour. What Yeah. Well, well, sadly, no legacy or, or vintage. But oh my or god, even vintage draft. Pro Tour. Jesus. With Winston drafts <laughs> and cube, that'd be pretty sweet. Yeah, but uh, I guess what we should. We should petition Star City to uh, to offer a vintage slash cube draft or cube. Isn't that gonna draft, be a vintage uh, masters draft for the players' championship, or whatever it's called? Yeah. Maybe. 
It could be it's an online format. Right? Yeah, no, they have the the boosters pre-generated on Magic Online, but then people are actually gonna draft physical cards. Oh. I'm pretty sure I heard about that. Is it is it for keeps? Oh, <laughs> good question. Is it is it for keeps? Can I can I power rare draft? I, I would love to see like, like Jeremy Dasani like rare draft and a Lotus and like uh, I don't care guys I'm out of here. <laughs> 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 Besides that, Lotus is a pretty awesome card to draft. <laughs> oh yeah. But I think we noticed that whatever happened to the modern format. Mo what's modern again? That format that Jeff Hoogland is going to play or something? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, apparently it's a, it's a mistress it or something. It was supposed to bring it's, balance. Hold on, wait, hold on. Let me quote Jeff Hoogland from three days before. It is a non-rotating format of the future which is no longer supported as a Pro Tour <laughs> format. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, and we had everybody's That's best friend, Tom LaPile, tweet about it because it caught people pretty much off guard. Like, why would you ever drop modern? You you introduced it as the holy grail of, of constructed formats and the future of magic and whatever. And now it's missing. Yeah, I find it a little odd. Do you think it has anything to do with booster pack oh. sales? <laughs> why would you think that? <laughs> uh, I, don't I don't know. Maybe because, like, Wizards of the Coast is trying to, like, keep a business <laughs> or something. So, know. to quote Tom LaPaille... The person who's said to say that Great Saber Stack was the answer to Dredge and Legacy, um, Tom Rapile. And wait, wait, wait! Uh, befo before you say it, he also introduced the modern format to the Magic community. Yeah, he was probably like back in two thousand driving force behind it in a way. Yeah. So Tom Rapile. So this is this is the person who inve essentially invented and gave the Magic community modern format. What does he have to say about why they took it out? Of the so pretty much right after the announcement, Tom LaPaille went on Twitter and let us know why there's no modern Pro Tour. And to quote him, Pro Tours put a ton of pressure on formats, and you can only put so much pressure on a huge non-rotating format before it breaks. And then he follows it up, better not to run modern Pro Tours, ban cards less often, less often, and let everyone at lower levels keep their decks together. What the fuck, man? Is this casual? That sounds like a gentleman's agreement, <laughs> I'm just saying. That sounds like building a format with construction of walls to kind of, like, keep the things from breaking down. So you know what you could do is you could, like, since you're the company, like, you could, like, print cards or something to help the format out, or you could also unban cards to help expand the format. What an incredible thought. Thoughts about this, guys? I just, I just can't help but, but stop laughing. That they printed a modern event deck not three months prior, and here they are axing the format. Yeah, when I re I'm impressed. Like it's ballsy. Like, when I read his tweet, by this event I was deck. pretty sure, like, okay, this is like a fake account because everybody knows, like, uh, what's his name, Mike Mike Worth or whatever on Twitter has a fake account of a guy who's making fun of him. So I was like, okay, this must be like a fake account, and somebody must be making fun of Tom LaPile. So I read it again, and it turns out it was the official announcement. So I commented that I thought this was a fake tweet, and uh, Jan van der Fick just commented right away, yeah, that's the same thing I thought. I thought this was like a, a fake tweet, <laughs> and, and this was not for real. This can't be the real explanation of modern not being supported anymore for the Pro Tour. Well, I'm just hoping Star City keeps the uh, the flame alive, the, the dream alive, with uh, with Legacy opens on Sundays. Now, I know we've uh, kind of come to Premier IQs also being hosted on Sundays with modern format alongside the Legacy Open. And actually, Jeff Hoogland sent out a tweet, uh, I think about a week ago, kind of comparing the numbers. There were about... Uh, I think the standard open had about like 
500 or so people. Legacy had about 350, and Modern had about 100, maybe to 250. And the unique people playing Legacy compared to Standard was about 250. So that's a pretty large tournament comprised of people only playing Legacy. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, and then compare that with 360 or so players, uh, unique players in Standard compared to the other two and about 160 unique modern players. So that is, that is, the modern term was a little bit bigger, but about only 100 to 150 people played Standard Modern and about 150 played Standard Legacy. So, very interesting to see those numbers come back. Well, I think that reasonably Star City is not going to drop Legacy for one main reason. They have a lot of stock, and if they axe Legacy, those prices go down. I think if you see, if we start to see a pattern of like Star City Games hosting a lot of sales, not buying at their events, like if you see, like if you notice a trend of they're trying to get lowering rid of their the stock, price, uh, lowering the buy list prices, yep. then you'll start. Then you know that something's up. What that could be, we can't be for sure of this. That's that's how you would know that the ha- hashtag MTG Finance. <laughs> yeah, but reasonably they've got a pretty good gravy train going. They're gonna run it for as long as they possibly. So can. going back to the announcement, what's actually the main reason to play modern now? Uh, you bought all these overpriced staples. You can't. Uh, let's see. There's a Grand Prix. Yeah, in I, I mean, as a, uh, cheapies aside, that's like a good re- that's a good reason. But to me, it's always like also like you've got the Pro Tour and then you've got the PTQ season around it. And oh wait no no back to an announcement. Now that they changed the Pro Tour qualifier system to a pro preliminary Pro Tour qualifier, the stores can choose any format to run their store qualifier in the approved format list, which is modern, so standard. I don't know about you guys, but I know exactly which format that's gonna be for my local store. It's the one that makes the most money. That's no, it's standard. sealed. It's always sealed. <laughs> Uh, well, I guess in the United States it's actually cheaper for stores to run standard uh, because then they don't need to supply the product. Uh, but it is pretty much... It's standard because it's the most accessible. You'll be able to get the most amount of people to play. Or sealed, which means the l- you don't have to stock singles and all you have to do is buy product and disperse Yeah, at least over here you just you have to buy the, the packs from the store and then you have to buy, uh, buy additional packs to go into the price pool. So for every like sealed PTQ play, you buy like 8 packs or 10 packs. Uh, not, maybe not 10 packs, but quite a lot. So, mm-hmm. But it definitely wouldn't be modern because you need both the number of players will be lower and you need to have a good stock of singles. Could to sell it be legacy or vintage? <laughs> Just for fun? It it definitely can't it definitely can't be vintage. Or it might be, but you know, you'll have when like six people show up, decks. it'll be like Yeah. <laughs> no but but the prediction here locally in Los Angeles, and we have a, th- a, a ton of game shops, is that the average pro uh, preliminary pro tour qualifier is gonna have maybe twenty Just people. 20 people. What? Just 20 that people. can't be right. It's, it's, co- it's comparable to a Grand Prix trial, right? I mean, it's essentially the same type of tournament. You play in a small store tournament. Each store in the area gets to no, run. Not each store, right? Only the advanced stores, whatever that means. Advanced stores, but the same ones that would be able to run Grand Prix okay. trials. Yeah, but only one per season. And one per season. So essentially, they get to run four pre-PTQs per year. Yeah. But the whole system kind of seems like, well... If you really want to be on the Pro Tour, you're going to have to grind it out. But Honestly, to me, it has always felt really like if you want to go to the Pro Tour, you just 13-2 and two are cheapy, and that's the way to the Pro Tour. That's right. I, I mean, it's making it more look uh, look more and more that playing competitively for Magic, you're better off playing Star City. Because at least you have a guaranteed prize at the end of the day. Well, I would love to get on the Pro Tour someday, and 
I think it's the, I think it's still like the very top thing you can achieve. Like going to the pro tour. If you've been to the pro tour, I haven't been, and I would. I think it's the one thing I really want to do most now, in a way, in Magic. Yeah, I think we had we had Philip on a couple of months back, and he he really mentioned that you know prior to qualifying, it's yeah he was all about playing legacy for fun and uh, com- competition. But once you get to a pro tour, it's like that competition overtakes everything else. It's like you're really playing for that competition and really trying to just be the best player uh, in multiple formats, usually constructed and limited, uh, across a very 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 advanced and skillful player base. And I think that's really what the draw for a Pro Tour is. But it's just, why are they so scared to um, to support Legacy in that manner? Well, I guess for availability I reasons? Don't, I don't know. I, I would agree with that. It's also a little bit of a logistical nightmare with the... I think both the, the judging staff has a little bit of more issues with Legacy, um, which I think most of the judging staff kind of knows about Legacy and knows all the rules and interactions with Legacy. Um, especially at a Grand Prix level, so I don't really see why that would be a big Because you're only going to bring L2s or higher for a Grand Prix, so... Maybe it's just they don't want to, as Samo says, shine light onto the uh, the Cancrus store that is Legacy from the Wizards Proof. I think it's a great format. You know, I'm a biased player. You're just a host on a Legacy and Vintage Central podcast, but yeah. <laughs> that, that's right, yeah. what do I know? <laughs> Whatever topics do we have for today, Matt? Uh, we're going to talk about our trolliest plays of the week. Trolliest plays? And, or just any sort of plays of the week that we had. Uh, okay. I still can't think of anything. Let, let me, I'll, I'll, I'll jump on one. Um, early this week I played Modern at like a local event. Uh, it was still five rounds, so kind of interesting to see how Modern has grown locally here. And I was playing Blue-Red Tron with Thruva Breach and Eldrazi and all the fun times. So... Um, I was playing a Gifts and Given version, and in some of my targets would normally be like Gifts and Given for Gifts and Given, Ulamog, Through the Breach, and Blast of Genius. Matt, I'm waiting for you to ask, what the hell is Blast of Genius? No, Genes? no, I'm I'm actually looking it up right now. Hold on. <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want to like be very loud, but Blast of Genius. Oh God, how awful is this gonna? Oh, <laughs> it's already. I see it's got see like uh, Ralzer and sorcery. On it. Yeah, yeah. Let's start from mana costs. How many? How many converted mana costs? Is I am counting four colorless, a blue, and a red. So it is All six. Right. So in my six mind, it's already awful. Yeah. What? What? Uh, what card type is it? It's a sore. Oh god. It's, it's a, a six mana sorcery. Now it's gonna <laughs> be really good. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna read it out. Choose target creature or player. Draw three cards, then discard a card. Blast of Genius deals damage equal to the discarded card's converted mana cost to that creature or player. This card is terrible. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out to uh, both Julian and Matt. Guess how much damage I dealt with this one card in the five round tournament. Uh, total, total damage. Okay, let's see. Multiples of fifteen. I assume you discarded more Blast of Genius with it. So I'm gonna say over the course of the tournament you did fifty damage. With I would say card. like eighty. 80 damage. Yeah, that's pretty close, actually. It was 56 damage total. Oh, what were you describing? I only, I only casted four times. What? What? Yeah. I, I discarded Emrakul three times, and the, the fourth time I didn't have an Emrakul, but I had an Ulamog. Turns out 11, 12 dam- no, 11 damage was enough to kill my opponent. You get to live in a magical world, sir. Or this I live in um, magical world. exactly do you play magic? <laughs> or whatever you want to call it. Uh, magic. Magic, air quotes, <laughs> with magic. You should uh, uh, 
buy stock, you know, play the lotto, whatever. You know what the funny thing is? I bought it the day of for a quarter, and I'm like, in this Korean. is going to be the best qu- No, 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 it was English. Okay. No, I mean, it's modern. I don't pimp out modern. Um, mostly because the cards are going to up and down so fast anyway. MTG hashtag finance or something like that. Bought for a quarter, dealt 56 damage throughout the day. I was giggling like a schoolgirl. That's worth it. Like, you got your you got your money's worth. Absolutely. It's like a penny also per damage. Four, <laughs> I also went 4-1. and one. My only loss was to a burn deck, so I feel like I got punished uh, appropriately. It was fun. It was a great, great event. I had a blast. <laughs> um, what about you, Julian? Well, for me, Julian, you go first. Well, if you I don't one. really have any cool plays of the week. It's just I finally got to kill an Eidolon of the Great Revel with Reclamation Sage, and that felt really good. And later that day, I also killed a moat. Did you green sun xenophores so you wouldn't have no, to No, I, I naturally drew it. I always naturally draw my one-offs. Which most of the time is pretty good, yeah. unless you draw the changes. Well, it is still 11.67% to draw. In the opening hand? Yeah. That's right. That's why you always have like the one-off Leyland of the Void in some decks. I think Sean Marie did it at the Bazaar of Moxen. He had the one. He played one I, I believe he and played somebody one with it too. Yeah, he got a friend of mine. But my friend still won the finals, but yeah. <laughs> So much. Uh, I think the play for me that was probably that a lot of people seem to forget about, especially in like say Deathrite mirrors, like Deathrite Tarmogoyf kind of matchups. Um, I had Tarmogoyf. There was only one sorcery in the graveyard. He attacks in. I block with my Tarmogoyf, remove the sorcery. Both die, and he has no idea what's going on. So that felt good. That's not like a trick play. I mean, that's just a play that people seem to forget about a lot. Uh, I got to enter into explosives against him in game two. For three, I took out three of his Deathrite Shamans, so that felt pretty good. And he just looked like Engine Explosive. Who plays that in Legacy? How could you play it? Like, what's going on? And I'm just like, oh, sorry, dude. Goodbye. Yeah, Engineered Explosive is, is a very, very good card. And not just because it has Engineer in the title. I mean, it probably does. But uh, I, I think it's a great card. I, I remember for a while when Deathrite Shaman was still legal in Modern that I specifically played a deck that ran Engineered Explosive's Recursion to deal with, like, the Jun tokens with the uh, Lingering Souls. I think it was like a Jundi or whatever, four-color Jund. And uh, unfortunately, it didn't deal with elves because it was an aggro elf deck. By turn three, I was uh, being attacked with five-five elves. Aggro elf sounds great. I would love to try that. I still wa- want to get uh, Elfish Champion to work because of the Forest Fog. Uh, by the way, speaking about place of the week, um, not me, but uh, Mark Koenig, which uh, whom we had uh, yep. on the podcast earlier. Barra, yeah, yeah Barra. AKA Barra, Barra. Yeah. He was playing, I don't even know, was he playing standard? I guess he was playing standard. Um, his opponent attacked him with two muter vaults and another creature. So Mark animates his own muter vault to block. And so his opponent was like, yeah, fine. Before blockers, I'm going to bile blight your muter vault. So I don't know if you guys know what bile blight does. Um, no, actually, <laughs> let me look it up. It's like minus yeah. three, minus three... To each creature. Yes, <laughs> uh, I wasn't sure about that, but if you know that this way, okay. Um, anyways, let's try this again. <laughs> I actually have the card like on my table. Okay, right here. so his <laughs> opponent attacks with uh, two muter vaults, some random creature, and so Mark moves on and animates his own muter vault, and his opponent is like, okay, so before I block us, I'm gonna bile blight your muter vault. And it turns out that was a quite bad deal for his opponent. He like three for one himself, <laughs> because I uh, Bile Blight is a uh, instant that g- 
gives minus three minus three to target creature and all creatures with the, sa uh, the same name. So this guy basically took out two of two of his lands and yeah lost one of his removal spells just to kill a uh, meter vault on Mark's side. So that was like a pretty huge blowout. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. I also trolled people on Magic Online like earlier this week. Uh, because the new client has this kind of strange feature where you can actually see who's like in an 8-man or a 2-man queue. So you pretty much know what you're going to fa be facing if you played this guy before. And I don't really like it, but I had to take advantage of it at least some time because, I don't know, it kind of feels good to troll people. So I was playing against this guy. Hey, gamer, gamers got a game, Yeah, right? I mean... Gamers yeah, I got mean, a game. Most... Most of all, I'm on Magic Online to to get become a better player or or just like test out new cards. But at so some certain points, you're just like, okay, whatever, you know. Let's just join this queue with main deck surgical extractions and uh, mind break traps and whatever. So I'm playing against this guy, and he's on oops all spells, and I actually lose a match against him. And I mean, he wasn't really a dick about it, but I think he made a, a stupid comment that and I was like, okay, let's go on and, and fuck this guy. So I joined the queue again when I see that he's in, and I actually have all my hate in the main deck. So he goes for it on his very first turn, and like, <laughs> I mean, you can disrupt Upsal spells in so many ways. You can extract the, the uh, Necromobas, or you can extract the uh, Dread Returns, or whatever. So I waited to the very last moment when he had the Dread Return on the, on the guy, on the stack, and then I extracted the guy, and he was like, come on, seriously? <laughs> he was so pissed, but <laughs> oh man. I mean, I feel guilty for it, but it felt kind of good. He he went on to really hate on me and send me messages and whatever, but so... <laughs> I mean, come on. I, I think this feature is just You're stupid. You're going to post all of them as tweets, right? Uh, this, that's not the kind of guy who's on Twitter. Uh, but if you are on Twitter, you should uh, follow Salty Losers. It's a collection of... Very pissed off opponents from Magic Online. Very worthwhile account to be following. It's great. You should also follow uh, us. That's Eternal MTG, right? Oh yeah, that's <laughs> right. It's at Eternal MTG. Do we need to the, say that? Uh, Do we assume that people don't know what our Twitter is? I guess we trust it. No, maybe we can convince someone to join Twitter and then follow us after listening to this episode. Holy crap! We have over two hundred followers. What? What? Yeah. That can't be true. Two hundred people spend their time. No, no, no. To we us? have we have one hundred ninety-four followers. No. Oh, that's right. Because we have five of us. Oh, sorry. You know, yeah. Fine. Jacko. Yeah, that, that's right. That's right. But we have quite a few people listening. So yeah. Yeah, because I was in a race yeah. with our own um, Twitter account. Who was gonna breach the two hundred first? And I actually made it past two hundred followers. Like I think two days ago. And so yeah. That's why I knew we had like less. Tw you only 200. have two hundred. I only have two hundred followers, but I didn't stream a lot lately. Oh, we need to change that. <laughs> we need a follow Thursday or something. Follow Friday. Or two hundred follower gets a dual land. Or Actually, something. I have two hundred and two now. Okay, you know what? You mm. don't have to brag. Some guy, <laughs> some guy <laughs> named Grumpy Humble, Cat. Hashtag humble brags on Twitter. <laughs> so I think the next thing we want to talk about is what are we playing right now and why are we playing it? So I think uh, Jacob, you had said that you were going to be playing something tomorrow for a duel for duels. Yeah. So you know. I, Recently, in the last three months or so, four months, I've actually scaled back my tournament um, going experience. I went to uh, Star City in New Jersey, but pretty much after that, I've been on Radio Silence and Magic Silence. So, uh, pretty much waiting for like a good tournament to go. You know, my life's been keeping me busy and whatnot. Um, 
and my current kind of like take on the metagame and what I kind of want to play and what I want to how to win because you know it is a playset of duels uh, for top eight so you have your choice of any playset of duel at the top eight and then like, and like what ninth and tenth get like Badlands Plateau or exactly wow uh, or, or something like that no, maybe not even ninth and tenth maybe it's just like top eight gets to draft playsets of duels and what. so I'm like man I, I haven't played in a while but I want to win so Naturally, when I haven't played in a while and want to win, I start looking lovingly at my Pox deck. Did we talk about Pox last time? I think we argued a little bit about it. At least offline we did. Uh, yeah, we, we talked about like how to build it, how to go about building it. Now, keep in mind that I've had this Pox deck built since about 2005, when Rug Delver was still known as Canadian Threshold. And I was playing such junk as Spitting... Horror? Hey, that's, that's a good card. Don't you dare knock Spitting Horror. Spitting... Is it Spitting oh, oh, Plague oh, oh, oh. or something like Plague that? Plague Spitter. Plague Spitter, yeah. that's the one. Yeah, the one where it deals one damage to each creature. I just understood Spitting Horror, and I was like, what? <laughs> spitting yeah. Horror is a magic card? <laughs> <laughs> Which expansion hey, is that from? You should see, you should see your cousin, <laughs> the, the Swallowing Horror. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> that's so deep. Oh, that's really deep. <laughs> uh, but you know Pox is kind of like a uh, it's a deck that you play not to have fun and definitely not to provide your opponents with fun it's a deck really to muck anyone's day and to pimp so, out actually and to pimp out which uh, thank god M15 Wizards had the insight or foresight or uh, generosity to print Urgborg Tomb of Yagmoth in uh, the set and naturally Korean is one of the printed languages so I got to update my Pox deck with Urgborg. So based on that premise, I uh, I put together my uh, my old Liliana Rack uh, Pox deck, which is really centered on the actual card Pox. You're playing you know, True Pox? I'm bona fide True Pox. Fifth Don't edition play a white border Korean Pox. Eh, not quite. Not quite. Uh, still playing Ice Age, mostly because it's impossible to find people selling... 5th edition Korean Pox. It's not a card that people seek out. Um, but the whole strategy with, with Pox really is don't... Is, is you utilize Pox as a card advantage. Or rather, you utilize Pox to minimize card disadvantage. So you ideally want to cast it when your opponent has a number greater than 4 in their hand, number of lands, or number of creatures. And that allows your opponent to lose 2 cards to your 1. So the idea is, don't play more than 3 lands. Don't uh, keep more than six cards or three cards. Well, it has to do with the the rounding up feature of Pox, right? Rounding down. Sorry, rounding down, yeah. Yeah. So the idea is, you know, you play it whenever you when your opponent's at an odd life total, so they lose one extra life because of a round down feature. You want to avoid even numbers because that's when it maximizes the effect. Um, and then in conjunction with the rack, in order to deal quick damage after the Pox effect. So Pox really is just a big burn spell a lot of times. So... But that's not really a competitive deck. It's more of like a, a joke, kind of muck. It's a spoiler deck. I believe uh, Reed Duke was actually so playing Pox in like... No, but he was trying. He was trying? That's the difference. No, no, he, was, he wasn't playing Pox. He was playing a small Pox. And I think there's a difference. Yeah, that's true. Like, you're pox. playing full-blown He was playing pox. a small Pox. Mm -hmm. Full-blown, like, the old spoiler deck for the Necro. In the Necro era. Essentially, you would say, well, you just paid four life to go up to seven cards, I'm going to play Pox, you're going to lose another four life and discard three cards. Have fun with that. 
Um, but really, that's not a, a not a good competitive deck. So I built lands, um, more of a traditional style. So it got it has exploration, punishing fire, um, intuition for a whole host of artifacts like smokestack, engineered explosives. Korean smokestack um, or regular smoke? Of course. Oh, Korean, of course. Okay, because Sean's <laughs> theme is still pretty good. Yeah, it's it's still really good, and that's actually the one one of the be- better ways to beat miracles decks. Oh, I mean, um, they can't get rid of it. I mean, we talked about like, permanent-based hate against Miracles being really good, but also Abrupt Decay. Mm-hmm. And Abrupt Decay, it, I mean, that's another reason to rely more on Smokestack than, for instance, a card like Ensnaring Bridge. Or, uh, I mean, Mindslaver would be ideal, but Mindslaver takes so long to win because you have to force your opponent's cards to defeat themselves. And a lot of times that's actually kind of hard in Legacy. Uh, for instance, what do you, how do you kill a Delver player with their own Delvers? You like them. them. That's... Well, once you have once you have the lock set up, the problem is also too you need to close the game out because it still takes about two minutes for you to actually manually go through their deck. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so yeah. So for instance, this lands deck has multiple ways to win. It has dark depths with it, Thespian Stage. Thespian Stage has a lot of utility in the deck. It can copy a Maze of If. It can copy a Punish uh, Grove of Burn Willows. It can copy. I, I don't recommend copying a Tabernacle. That seems like a low <laughs> value play. Um, it's kind of funny, but low value. You can do it in response to a waste. It also has. That's right. Uh, creeping Tarpets is a pretty good one. I think if you're still uh, playing Creeping Tarpet, you have too many win conditions, though. Like, two win conditions? Yeah. That's that's too many. I also want to win an, in the given amount of time, like 15 minutes. So I need to. No, you want to win options. one game in 15 <laughs> minutes. I said win a match, not win multiple games. So I wouldn't be surprised if I managed to win one game one in 40 minutes and then game two is a draw. So we'll see how many of my matches end up being ones that or actually one happens quite a lot tomorrow. i mean i used to play a lot of lands and that happened like every like fifth match my opponent scooped way too late in the first game and didn't have enough time for the second game anyways you got to scoop the lands but no but seriously if you go 007 we're going to do like a james bond alter for you <laughs> cool Unfortunately, I, I probably drop before I go 007. <laughs> like, you know, in 2006, uh, or yeah, around 2000, 2006, when Landstill was big in Legacy, a friend of mine played uh, Moat and Humility. And he actually went something ridiculous, like, I think, 1-1-4 one, one, <laughs> in a tournament. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, my, my read on the metagame is there's going to be a lot of fair Stoneblade decks. Um... So lands is really good against creature decks. Uh, Wasteland recursion is really good against the three color decks. Uh, combo seems to be on the de- decline because of all the brainstorm force wheel decks, as Jeff Hoogland calls them, uh, putting the squeeze on anything that uh, is trying to do anything unfair. And plus, you can really tool your sideboard against combo if that's what that, if that's a deck that you really can't deal with. Right. So that's where Sphere of Resistance is really good in the sideboard, and. Uh, I think my one matchup is that I'm really fear is actually Julian's Elves list. Uh, so for that, I have a special purpose Cursed Totem. Oh, oh man. Cursed Totem is actually That's so heavily evil. used right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, between Punishing Fire, Engineered Explosives, and Cursed Totem, I think I should have a decent shot of... You know which card I'm most afraid of? Oh. Glacier Chasm. Besides Grafted Glacier Chasm. It's so annoying. Glacial it's Chasm so annoying. I mean, you can yeah. still win. It's like, yeah, sure, go ahead. Go, 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 yeah, go off. I, I mean, attack. no, no, uh, you don't even attack. Fine. It's like, I mean, okay, if you, if you got the creation <coughs> into it, well, you, I don't see it coming. But it happened to me quite often that they get the, the Glazy Chessman to play, and then you have to go the long way and activate Deathrite Shamans like 10 times, and then you get there. But it usually takes like a pretty long glimpse chain, and it's, it's, uh, 
It's annoying. Yeah, you have to, like, what, discard all 12 sources? Yeah, the interesting part is that you can't um, get the, the Green Sun Senate into your graveyard, so, because it's, when you play the Chaffer's back in your library, so you have to draw enough cards to end of turn discard all of your Green Sun Sunnets, and then on your on the, your opponent's next upkeep, untap all your Deathrite Shamans or your one Deathrite Shaman like five or six times, and then eat up all the, the discarded cards again. And it usually takes uh, Bachelor Ranger to provide enough black mana. And I've done it before. I've also done it against Blazing Archon in game one, which is awesome. <laughs> but it, it usually takes so long and it's so annoying and there are so many things that can go wrong, but it can be done. So that's why I'm playing Crystal. Yeah. It's a good <laughs> yeah. a really good card that people just uh have forgotten about ever since Terminus got printed. And I'm so happy I'm Sorry. actually never mentioning Curse Totem anywhere and you guys just broke it and no. Well, you know, we sometimes we have to provide meaningful and taxiful information here on this That's podcast. not what like, this I mean, podcast nice was advertised like, to me. <laughs> like nice nice Stoneforge when you drop Curse Totem, right? You're just like, Oh, fetch batter skull, curse totem, oh nice five mana do nothing, right? right? Honestly, I wouldn't even sideboard Custodium against a deck that's only got, like, Stoneforge, but, I mean... Deathrite? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, even against Deathrite, I wouldn't bring it in, because that's where Punishing Fires really excels. I'd bring it in against Maverick, against Death and Taxes, and against... Elves. Oh, for sure. I'm so just pretty much, So pretty much all the green... I think you also want packs. to bring it in against Sneak Attack, because once you've got Caracas, Grizzlebrand doesn't even matter in any way. Yeah, I'm thinking... Well, for that reason, I also have Phyrexian Revolt. Okay. Not Needle? Which provides... Not Needle. Um, because I still need a way to cl- win games quickly against combo decks. Fair enough. So it's also it's also good against uh, LED. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Piffing, that's fine. Piffing Needle is not. That's fair. But you can try. So <laughs> that's really the reason. Uh, you could try. I could always mind trick my opponent, and if they're smart enough, they'll realize he's bluffing. Julian, what are you, uh, what are you on, or what have you changed, or what's going on with you? Well... For the main deck, there are hardly any changes these days. I mean, yeah, I replaced the Viridian Chairman with the Reclamation Sage. And I remember somebody on the Elf thread actually asked, so, guys, what do you think about Reclamation Sage? Is he better than Viridian Chairman? And my answer was like, if the 2-1 is better than the 2-2 against Engineer Plague, there's no choice. So, I mean, it comes kind, kind of naturally. Killing enchantments on top of artifacts is so good. It's really good. It also increases your, your Miracles matchup by quite a bit. Um, what I'm contemplating is getting rid of the Pendlehaven again. I mean, it's still good, but I could actually see a Cavern of Souls because not then you've got like a kind of build-your-own Prop K against the Counterbalance. But I don't really like it because it doesn't cast all my, my non-green spells, like only for colorless mana. Uh, my, my, you know what I mean. Um, it's it's kind of clunky, so for the main deck there are not a lot of choices. For the sideboard, uh, I'm trying out a lot of stuff. I went back to two Pithing Needle, two Nile Rods, um, one Natural Order, one Druid Thar right now, because with uh, Renzo and Packmaster in the main, I really can't afford putting all these... I mean, cl- yeah, I, I, I try to avoid the word because... In elves, hardly anything's clunky, but yeah, like on the first and second turn, they're definitely clunky. So I don't want to over overload on too many of these cards. Um, I'm playing three. M- speaking of speaking yeah. of Rurikthar yeah. Unbound, or maybe we'll have to come back to it after. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so um, on top of that, I've got good reminder, three though. mindback traps because mindback traps go really, really well with Rurikthar, allowing you the time to actually natural order into him, and one Sylvan library. For now, that's like one of the m- 
flex 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 slots that I always change around. Uh, three a property case. I could actually see four because right now my sideboard is really soft to Delva and I need ways to remove it until they weren't flying or reaching Lanwalf. And two surgical extractions, which have been really really good for me lately. So yeah, that's what I'm I'm running right now. Um, I've got the second virtual ranger over the Lanwalf, the singleton Lanwalf I used to run, just because it, it felt better lately and like I've been growing really fond of machine gunning Deathrite Shamans and for most matchups because I've got Ransom Packmaster now I often side out all the natural orders so the, the mid-range grindy plan becomes a thing again and that involves activating Deathrite Shamans as often as possible so maybe Virtual Ranger is better but that's like a choice you can make, you don't have to I mean I've always been a fan of Elves I've played them probably since about 2009 on and off so I always go to you for my elves tech. I saw for a while you were running lightning bolt in the sideboard. <laughs> in the sideboard? No, in the main deck. Yes. Main deck? What? <laughs> okay, this is this. Is uh, time. I think we actually did that on the last podcast, right? <laughs> we did, yeah. Oh, okay, then well, I must have missed it. So, or refer back to our last episode to hear more about lightning bolt <laughs> in elves specifically against combo. <laughs> so, um, right now. Well, what I mainly wanted to talk about is just, like, a few decks that I was working on. I've talked about Rug Midrange for a long time, so I'm not going to talk about that one. It's not as good as I thought it was, so I'm going to leave that alone for a while. I've been playing some Bug Midrange lately that's been really, really fun. Um, just basically playing, like, Deathrite, Snapcaster, True Nemesis, Tarmogoyf, playing some Sylvan Libraries, Abrupt Decays, Disfigure, Brainstorm, playing two Creeping Tarpits main, Garuk Relentless, and Jace, uh, and then running a full... Four Thoughtseize, three Him to Torok, two Toxic Deluge. And it's been pretty good. No Force of Will in the main. A lot of people really expect it. But I'm just running four Force of Will and two Flush Storm in the side. And it's been pretty good. Uh, I've also been... I'm going to be trying Esper Delver again. Uh, Grixis Control, which I am now calling Lower Frisia, Team Lower Frisia, uh, Because the flag for Frisia is uh, the Grixis colors. And the naming convention for Legacy is awful. Uh, so for the Grixis control list, uh, I saw a guy playing it on Cockatrice uh, a couple nights ago, so I've kind of been working on it. It has basically Baleful Strikes, Deathrite Shaman, Snapcaster, Vendillion Cleek, uh, and he's also running Terminates as his main piece of removal. I mean, the rest of it is kind of like, you know, Thoughtseize, Force, Brainstorm, whatever. Um, but Terminate was actually the, the card that I had forgotten about for a long time, and Terminate's really, really good. Uh, instant Speed, Unconditional... Destroy target creature can't be regenerated, um, and I think there's there are definitely times as of late where uh, the the like bug players are playing like Tombstalker or something, and you actually just can't get rid of it because your abrupt decays just don't get there. And if you're not running white, you don't have swords. So terminate could be something that people uh, or a Grixis control list could be something that uh, people maybe just haven't thought about. Because I think a lot of people when they think of Grixis, they really think of young Pyromancer and. I don't know, I really don't like Young Pyromancer right now, just because Zealous Persecution and Golgari Charm are still pretty pretty heavy in the format. So, Wait, you mentioned Terminate, not Terminus? Terminate. <laughs> I did say Terminate. Good old okay. Terminate. I, uh, for a while, I was thinking, like, wait, a con the creature-based deck is playing Terminate, Terminus? Why would they do that? Now it finally clicked. Okay. As soon as you mentioned Grixis, I'm like, got it. Yeah. I'm splashing Terminus I mean on the my Grixis deck. Yeah. <laughs> so good. But I mean, I I did lose a game to you know terminate Snapcaster terminate, and I was kind of like, oh, I'll, I see how it is. 
Um, and then the last list, I think I've talked about the Thopter Humility list for a little while. And a lot of people have kind of said, like, no, why would you play that deck? It's really awful. Because basically what I was trying to do is troll judges with it. Uh, because basically if you if you know your layer interaction, you know that a Painter Servant comes down, paints in layer 4. Uh, Magus the Moon, I think, is layer 5. And then layer 6 is your Humility, like, everything gets mucked layer. So basically what I was thinking about was, why don't I run a deck with Painter Servant, Grindstone, and Humility? Also, I wanted to beat up on Burn, so... I'm running moat. I'm running. Sorry, energy field and rest in peace. Actually, and the Thopter fan. What you could be doing, which would be kind of fun, is have humility and painter servant in play as well as grindstone, and then like at your opponent's end of turn or whatever, you're gonna be like, well, maybe at, at least I'm gonna mill some good card of yours. I'm just gonna activate grindstone. Your opponent is like, oh, sure, go ahead. <laughs> oh yeah, you run the. Uh, oh, I wonder how many I can get off of this <laughs> thing. Oh no. And then he reveals, like, Oops. a land oh, and a creature, die. and he's like, okay, I'm going to stop. And you're like, no, no, these have the same color, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think 100% I will definitely do that. If I played this in real life, that's that's happening. Uh, it also plays a Thopter Foundry combo, because who doesn't love creating Thopters under Humility? And you get to gain life. Wait, wait, there's still 1-1s, one right? There's still 1-1s, one but you get to gain All life. All right, so it still triggers the sword. Oh, yes. Hey, are you running for... Uh, Enlightened Tutor in this deck? I'm running two Enlightened Tutor, one uh, Transmute Artifact, and two Tezzeret the Seeker. Okay, that, that seems to be about a good mix. Why not Muddle the Mixture? Because uh, this is a legacy podcast. <laughs> yeah, Muddle the Mixture is pretty good. It counters any removal on your artifacts, or it tutors for all the combos. So, also, too, people are really kind of... People are just dying to burn. Um, and reasonably, I mean, even with Miracles, if you're not kind of getting down counterbalance and your opponent gets good draws, you can... The burn matchup doesn't always go favorably. So I think a card that a lot of people have forgotten about is Energy Field. Just play Energy Field. They have no way to remove it. So think about it, guys. Fair point. Pardon? And, and a cer- Fair point, and a certainly... Only in the sideboard do you really have to worry about Power Blast, Red Elemental Blast. Yeah, and I think a lot of the Burn decks really aren't running Power Blast. They're running, like, Smash the Smithereens and Staring Bridge, Searing Blood. Like, they've got other things to worry about, and they play Vexing Shusher instead, because Vexing Shusher is that much better against Miracles. And Energy Field is just KO. So, I mean, especially if you can run Energy Field and you're probably playing Rest in Peace in the sideboard anyway, why not? Seems real good. So, just my kind of two bits right now. I'll include all the lists in the show notes, though. And then somebody actually plays Flaring Pain and gets you. I lost to it. I can't do anything. When I was playing Lance, uh, all the Goblin players stocked up on Flaring Pain. And, you know, turns out Magnesia Chasm and, and what as the maze of it and everything wasn't that good anymore. Or Armageddon. That's where you, have to have, that's where you actually have to have Zeron Orb. So or Armageddon. Armageddon's pretty good, though. Yeah. Uh, I was actually... I was uh, mixing around with a uh, new New Horizons list. I don't know if you... Now, some of you might... Uh, this might be a little bit... Oh, I love this deck. I love the New Horizons list. Now, this might be a little bit deep for you guys, because this was kind of about 2009, 2010. But if you were playing around the time, you might remember the Knight of the Reliquary, Terravor, Armageddon deck, basically. Tarmogoyf. There's also Tarmogoyf. Oh, there's Tarmogoyf as well. Okay. Um... So basically, the whole point is you attack their lands as much as possible through Stifle and um, Wasteland, Wasteland. And, and you play Armageddon. So it's like an old Terrageddon-style deck, and you play Mox Diamonds. However, you can also just run Deathrite Chumans as well and Noble Hierarchs, because why not? And now... I mean, at that point, you at that point you play Greenstone Zenith too, so you can search for Terrabore, oh, yeah. Night of Reliquary, Tarmogoyf, Deathrite Shaman, Noble Hierarch. 
Oh, for sure. And then you get to play, like, Tabernacle, Thespian Stage. I'm playing Ghost Quarter, Riftstone Portal, Dark Depths. Like, I really like the look of this deck. I don't think this deck is actually that good, but anytime you get to play Ravages of War, you get to smile because you're like, all your lands are gone. And Armageddon is incredibly good against Miracles. And if you get your Terravore Swords to Plowshares, you get to gain 36 life and draw so deep with Sylvan Library. Now that you mention it, I would actually love to try Armageddon in Elves. <laughs> it wouldn't be terrible, I don't think. Yeah, maybe I'm gonna brew something up. Couldn't you run Tsunami? Tsunami? Yeah, Tsunami's a great Tsunami's card. Tsunami's not as cool. Destroys, yeah, I know, I know, but islands. that's not as good against Miracles. Why? Well, it's effectively you the same You need to get rid of the planes, Actually, it's though. not the same effect. It's like, uh, you only kill half that lands. You could play Flash Fires. How much mana does that cost? Destroy all planes? But what? then you don't get rid of Destroy their islands. <laughs> if only there was, was a really cut that all right, fine. Well, I guess we, I guess we settled. We have to play Armageddon. Yes, now. or Ravages of War, whichever. But the, what is the German name, Julian, for Armageddon? Oh, uh, I, w I know the translation, but I don't know what the magic card is called. Give me a second. Mm, it's so delicious. It's actually, I believe, I was told it translates to. Oh yeah, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay, the German name um, is Götterdämmerung. Yes. Very good. Oh. It's pretty much so what Armageddon means. What's what's brainstorming? Uh, I think everybody German? knows what, what's brainstorming in German. It's Gedankenwirbel. Oh. What about Mox Diamond? Diamantenmox. Oh. Keep talking, Julian. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's. I, I want to try an experiment here. What's Jace the Mindscope? Um. You know, I would actually have to look that up. Mindscaptor. What? Chase the... Okay, give me a second. Oh, here we go. Learn to spell. <laughs> Chase the mind... Uh, uh, ask me again. <laughs> what is Chase okay. the Mind Sculptor in German? It's Chase der Gedankenformer. Gedankenformer. Ooh. Ooh. I think we're on to a thing here. Brain or mind have some uh, pretty funny things. How about mind, mind bomb? Mind bomb? That should be good. Yeah. Uh, give me a second. Oh, okay. Erinnerungszerstörung. Is that easy for Hard. you to pronounce? Yeah, of course. It sounds it it's sounds pretty complicated. It means about, destroying uh, your memories. Thoughts? thoughts? How about thought thought lash? Lash. Sometimes they get creative with the uh, translations. Gedankenopfer. That Ooh. How about mindset? Mind <laughs> Are you having fun? W <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm having um, fun. Gedankenstein. Hmm. What about what about uh, Sylvan Safekeeper? Oh my god. Okay. Um. Bevara des Waldes. Mm. That's Olerade, by the way. This is this is great. We should actually have a section that's just actually <laughs> Julian pronounces German card names. <laughs> <laughs> What's the craziest German name? So for to me, card? that's still Dreiningwerk. Dreiningwerk is uh, Saugende Wellhornschnecke. Hold on, I'm looking this up. Jesus, that is a long one. No, actually, what is it called? What is Mind? What about Mindslaver? Gedanken... Oh, give me a second. Uh, yeah, Gedankenversklaver. <laughs> so, actually, the craziest German name is Renz Run... Ren, whatever it's called. Renz... Renz Run Packmaster? No, no, no. You got me. Uh, Renz Run Vanquisher. That's so stupid because it doesn't even make any sense. So, the German... Uh, the English name is Renz Run Vanquisher. And the yeah. German translation is Überwältiger aus dem Zaunkönigrevier. I have no idea what a überwältiger is. <laughs> it sounds like it has death touch. Yeah, or it's something. an elf, and you have to reveal an elf from your hand. Oh my god, the text has to get smaller in the title to fit it all in. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's almost. Wait, is it more characters than the tabernacle at Pendrel Vale? Yes. 
probably. I believe so. I'm, I'm kind of curious. It's like what, twelve, fifteen, twelve. <laughs> Twenty-nine letters long. I mean, this one's thirty-two. Jeez. Okay. Do Ren's Run Packmaster. Do it. Uh, do it. Okay. Give me a second. Rudelführer. Rudelführer des Zaunkönigsreviers. <laughs> yes. How does Zaunkönigsreviers translates to Ren Run? Uh, what? Oh, Zaunkönig. That's a bird. Okay, so that must yeah. be a Ren. And then what's I a guess run? a run is like the, the place he lives at. The Rundelfuhrer is like the run. No, master. no, no. Run, run is like the. the That's the pack. Run, 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 I guess is where the the bird lives in. I guess is that like, only the ornithologist mm. term for the place a bird lives. Uh, so it's like a. No, nest. no, no, not not just a nest, like the whole area. Oh, okay, okay. Like the e the small part of the ecosystem <laughs> in which the wren lives. I guess. All right. Here's here's a fun one. What is Brian Stoutarm. What? Brian Stoutarm. Brian Stoutarm. Is that an English name, or did you just try to pronounce a German name? No, it's Brian, B-R-I-O-N, Stoutarm, one word. Oh, one word, okay. As I can't find it. Stoutarm? Stoutarm, like the beer, and then an arm. I don't know what the beer is. Stout? Uh, Stout? S-T-O-U-T-A-R-M. Brian Brain or Brian? Brian. B-R-I-O-N. B-R-I-O-N. I still can't find it on Magic Cards Info. Okay, ah, so it's, it's it not one word, it's two words. Okay. Oh, this one. Okay. Oh, <laughs> oh no. That's not very exciting. It's just Brian Stark Arm. Which means strong yeah. arm. Oh. Wah, wah. <laughs> yeah, that's, wah, that's not very good at all. Um... Should we talk about, uh, I mean, as entertaining as this section you is... You should ask me about Spellsnare, because Spellsnare is my favorite German translation. Let's, what is Spellsnare? Zauberschlinge. Zauberschlinge. <laughs> yeah, oh, you got, the pro pronunciation was, like, perfect. Say it again. Oh, thank you. I try. Zauberschlinge. Zauberschlinge. Yeah, <laughs> and when you cast it, you have to be like, oh, Zauberschlinge, because nobody in Germany actually knows what Spellsnare means, uh, uh translates to in German. <laughs> hmm. Now I know. Zauber yes. I'll have to learn German before coming to Europe and playing Magic. If you play Genesis, it's called Die Entstehung. <laughs> These are all pretty amazing. Um, this will be a continuing section. We can also have me reading out English names in a very, very nice and... Very Canadian, smooth accent. Yes. And With enunciate a every but syllable. But also's and then so's. More so. I would actually else. prefer David Attenborough does Magic the Gathering card names. I think this is a very good section. We, we, we shall have to repeat this in future podcasts. I agree. Uh, what I would like to move on to is cards to use. Um, so we talked about uh, Curse Totem, and is there anything else that like people are like not using but should be as of late? Submerge. I really don't see enough Submerge these days. Rough and Tumble? Mm. How would you like some Rough and Tumble? I think Engineered Explosives is also a pretty good one. Yep, I would agree with Engineered Explosives. Um, Crossing Grip, still. I don't see enough people running that card. Dark Confidant, still good. Sylvan Library, also good. I mean, I, I could say Blood Moon, but I think we keep beating that dead horse over and over. I now. think enough people have finally caught on. I think I think once you yell it for, like, a year, people are like, oh. <laughs> to me, Planeswalkers in general. Like I, th I feel people should run more, in general more Planeswalkers. Sure. 
would I be out of line of saying Grizzlebrand needs to see more play? No, no. Actually, they just printed the GP um, promo for it, so no, you don't need to play it. Is it beautiful? Ah, sweet. Yeah. Really? I think the art looks a, a little better. It's comparable. It's very comparable to the old art. It's just kind of a different angle of the same character. Yeah. I think my, the only point against it is it's going to be in foil. And it's going to be in the new, new frame. See, yeah, what do we call this frame? Like, the new, new frame? Or is it just the new frame? I think we'll call it new frame 2.0. The new it or the newest frame? The latest frame? The anti-counterfeit frame. The square frame? It's pretty square. I'd call it the square frame. No, because I think the old frame is the square frame. No, but the old square is the good frame. Like, I, the, there's no other name for it. It's like the only frame. It's the frame. We'll call it alpha frame. Sure. How about that? Alpha frame. We could call it like M15 frame. Loses all it's all character, but tells a story. Tells a story of like Not Chinese really. counterfeiting and. <laughs> yeah, there was actually some news about a couple weeks ago from uh, the brand manager for Magic the Gathering, uh, where they acknowledged that counterfeiting is a serious problem, and to that end, they have apprehended the counterfeit ring uh, that brought them to the U.S. as well as gotten a cease and desist order on the Chinese manufacturer that was really? producing them. So, round of applause to Magic the Gathering and Wizards of the Coast for actually cracking down on the uh, counterfeit. Actually, I'd like to congratulate the Chinese government for actually like carrying out that order. Just saying. Yeah, that, that is true. It, do, it does have to be... You have to move a mountain in order to do anything in China. So, like, somebody, like, grease some palms or somebody knows somebody. So, I want in on that hookup. Just saying. Plus, you'll get a better access to Chinese, actual legitimate Chinese magic cards. That too. I can be like Sean's conduit for like T Chinese stuff. Oh, so we're going to also talk and do a section on Ikea. <laughs> oh, right. So that so, was like a serious note? <laughs> Rurikthar the Unbowed. <laughs> Somehow we got into the subject of Ikea furniture earlier before the podcast. Um, our own esteemed Matt Pavlik has uh, moved, left the nest, so to speak. Everybody applause. Yay! <laughs> you know, Matt, you've got people all around the world applauding for moving out of your parents' basement now. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually kind of sad, because the first thing that I said when I went to the new place was, my pool at home is twice the size. And uh, Your, your, your pool at home? Pool. Pool, like, pool, okay. like an in-ground like, swimming pool. Uh, when I went to go look at the place, it's one of the only places in the area that has a swimming pool, because, you know... Because when you pay good rent, you get good things, right? Isn't it like frozen half the year in Canada? I was just about oh, to it's ask. inside. It's <laughs> inside and it's very nice. Like everything in Canada no. is inside. Because you can't go out. Because That's you would nice. either get eaten by a polar bear or freeze to death. <laughs> How did you know? Right, I'm uh, it's like 35 no, degrees right now. so it's 35? Is that in, wait, is that in centigrade or Fahrenheit? For Julian, it's in centigrade. I, I choose not to transfer it to uh, Fahrenheit for you. Actually, it's pretty hot. 30, 35 is pretty toasty. It's pretty toasty. Oh, yeah. It's, it's really toasty. It's like it's like a third of the way to waterboard. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Your friendly engineer. Uh, yeah, so point being, uh, I'm, I can so, now play Magic whenever I want to. Yay! Does that mean you're going to be installing Magic Online and playing oh, in Oh, God, no. Pants? God, no. Oh. Never installing so Magic So you still have a sense of uh, Because only a crazy person would be up at like half past three in the morning in his underpants and talk about magic. <laughs> <laughs> See, I actually don't mind playing on Cockatrice because it's free, but as soon as I have to start paying for something, 
So if the fans want me to, like, I will, like, let's put it this way. If people donate to buy me cards, I will, I will make a stream and I will play Magic Online. Conversely, if you want to play with Matt Pavlik at 3 in the morning in your underpants for free, make sure to send him an email and I will be providing his personal email and cell phone number. Give him a call. Say, Matt Pavlik, we want to play with you on Cockatrice at 3 in the morning. You know, next time you log in, you've got all these open games. Matt Pavlik, please join. Please join. Please, Matt. Only Matt. Yep, that's what's going to happen. So back to the IKEA furniture. <laughs> that's a line right. I never so expected we're discussing on this podcast. We're discussing what furniture Matt may need, um, and I brought up the subject of the Hemnes bookcase. Which I obviously asks, have on my list to buy. So Matt asked, well, you know, that should be pretty easy to construct. And I said, yeah, I put it together no problems except for one hitch. The top plate was bowed because it was built in a place that had humidity. And in California, obviously, there's no humidity. We don't even have rainwater. So, uh, well, that sewer it, pipe lost all of your drinking water. Goodbye. That's, that's right. Uh, very true as well. Current events as well. Um, so the, essentially, the wood was unbowed when I put it together, and I couldn't put it together. The hole that needed to fit with the wood peg that you screw together with the Allen wrench and then turn the instructions over and realize you have it all upside down um, was off by two inches. So I actually had to use force to put it into the hole. Did you use mass times acceleration there? <laughs> what? Force? <laughs> no? <laughs> you took physics. Come on. Which is all to say that I had the help of Rurik Thar help me put together my IKEA furniture. Can you imagine Rurik Thar working at IKEA and talking to people? Okay, oh, yeah. I think you need this chef. This would make a very good atmosphere in your room. Please buy this. You realize that I I need a shelf for all my cards, so it's like it also it's like the ambiance of the room as well, right? I I think you need to incorporate a Rurik Thar into this bookcase. I think maybe I'll like get some paint and like paint a. Paint a little Rurik Thar on it somewhere. You can never paint a little Rurik Thar. You can only paint giant Rurik Thars. <laughs> I'll paint it on the wall just for you. <laughs> on the entire wall. Like, how big is Rurik Thar? What do you think? Oh, I think he's a success. <laughs> that's, that's like... <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> he's a 6'6", six, six, so I figure he's probably like... Well, he's like at least six times oh, the size of Oh, you mean like 6'6", six, six, like as a creature... I thought this was like yeah. some crazy American measurement. He's like, oh, he's... Oh, 6'6 six, six would be two meters. Oh, okay. No, no, no. 6'6 six, six would be like, yeah, two meters. Yeah, yeah, just about two meters. That's right. So looking... I was thinking like six feet is a meter, but... No, but then you're I'm just American, I don't know the metric system. Looking at the picture, he's at least like four meters or five meters high. Oh, probably. He's got these I would probably agree. human skulls. He's like the size of a Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> I think that's larger than five meters. But I'm not sure. No, I think they said they're like. Actually, actually, 15, actually, you might be right. No, I know I'm right. It's fine. <laughs> I know I'm right. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I think six times larger than a human being is, is probably appropriate. But also, considering a human being is a one one and a Rickthar. Speaking is a six, of T Rexes, they're actually filming Jurassic World right now. I think it's called. So I'm excited. Anything Jurassic Park related, I'm in. Well, we'll have to request Sam incorporates um, Jurassic March. Into the, uh, into we'll the have him here. spare no expense. Oh, that was so awesome! And I was right. at at by the way at uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex is between twelve and yeah about twelve meters high. I just looked it up. Twelve meters high? Oh, oh wow. no, four meters high. No, no, Does no. That mean oh, I'm so stupid. I'm bad at reading. Twelve feet. No, no, no. Yeah. He's four four meters high and about twelve meters long, with his tail okay. fully erect or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> oh baby. <laughs> uh, 
when I was at at uh, Prague Eternal, we we had this kind of st it was a good hotel, but it was behind a very big fence. So every time when we were leaving the the whole area, we had this this huge door that was like three or four meters high open up while we were sitting inside the car because they got some wireless transmission whatever and my friend he was always uh singing the the, the jurassic park soundtrack or, or like dun, like dun, whistling it oh that was so awesome yeah. that was like one of my best memories <laughs> of the entire tournament i might have been baiting <laughs> Point being, what is the point? We've officially run out of things to talk about when, we <laughs> when the singing begins. <laughs> good, because I've actually officially ran out of my. Speech. And Have I'm officially day. running out of my night. <laughs> That's fair. The sun should be coming up in like less than an hour. Actually, I think two. Of my my <laughs> iPhone can tell me. Like, give me a second. The sun will come be going up in almost exactly two hours. Hmm. Very nice. All right, and with that, we're signing off. Thanks for listening for another fabulous episode of Everyday Eternal. I'm Matt Havlick. I'm Julian Knapp. And I'm Jacob Corey. Thanks for tuning in. Feedback is always appreciated. Email us at everydayeternalcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash everydayeternalpodcast. Or follow us on Twitter at eternalmtg.